The word I've got for this morning, um, I've been meditating on something. It was, a, it was kind of a throwaway comment that Pastor Andy threw out a couple of weeks back when he did the Vision 2022 video. Do you recall that? And he threw out the statement and he said, uh, he was talking about running our best lap yet. And he said, we've got to learn to run at rest. And it's like, it's like a bit of a, an oxymoron. It's like a contradiction in terms, an enigma, whatever you will. You know, how do you run at rest? But, and you think about it, well, actually, if you've ever seen like the, the New Year's resolution runners in the first part of January, you can see the people who are trying to do the, the couch to five potatoes, you know, they, they're running and they're just grimacing and they look terrible, you know, they're not enjoying the run. And then you see these other guys, they, they're going past like gazelles, you know, just totally at ease, totally enjoying their run. That, that is a picture of how God wants us to, to run the race that is set before us. He wants us to run it with ease. And, and Sandy's been sharing in the last few weeks about running this race that's before us. And she's been sharing from, from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, which says that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. All these heroes of faith that have gone before us that are recorded in Hebrews 11, these men and women who, who, who refused to be moved from what they believed, they lived by their convictions. And there's this witness, there's their testimonies that are recorded in the Word of God. And, and we've got this great cloud of witnesses there. And the Bible says, seeing as we surround by all this witness, let us run our race with endurance. And he says, but the first thing he says is, let, let us lay aside every weight. Let us lay aside the weights. We can't run this race with, with weights. In order to run our race at rest, the first thing we've got to do is lay aside those weights. Those, those, those weights of disappointment of the past, the weights of, of self-effort. And that's the one I want to dig in today. You know, Jesus said in, in Matthew, he says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and, and are heavy laden. In other words, you're carrying weights. And what does he say? Learn of me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So we can learn to run our race God's way. We can learn of Jesus and learn to run our race at rest. To run this race at rest. And, and so Romans 7 and Romans 8 are the scriptures I want to just, just dig into today. And we're just going to trust God that he's just going to take us through a little journey today. Because I've got three different messages floating around in my head. So let's see which one comes out, right? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for the right one. But Romans 7 and Romans 8 are two of the most pivotal books in the Bible. I think I love Romans. I love, I love the Bible. But Romans 7 and 8 are incredible books. And Romans 7 this great man of God, Paul the Apostle, right, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul, this guy who, who, was, who was raised as a Hebrew of Hebrews, who knew the old covenant law inside and out, who was raised under this, 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 one of the best teachers of the, of the law, Gamaliel, in, in, in Jerusalem. He, was, he knew the law inside and out. He gets saved on his Damascus Road experience. He gets these incredible revelations from God. And yet in Romans 7, he says some things, he describes, he describes the, 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 the failures of trying to, and the weight and the, and the heaviness of trying to live this Christian life by self-effort, by trying to follow it by self-effort. And he says things, I'll just read out a few of them, but in Romans 7, first of all, he says this one, I want to just give you this one verse because we're going to come back to it a few times today. He says, but sin produced in me all manner of evil desire. Sin produced in me all manner of evil desire. And he says things like this. He says, 
In verse 15, we won't put them up there, but he says, I'll just read some out to you, right? New King James Version. For what I am doing, I do not understand. What I will to do, that I don't practice, but what I hate, that I do. He says, if then I do that, what I don't want to do, I agree the law is good, but I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't know. Says things like, for the good that I will to do, I do not find. But the evil that I don't want to do, that I practice. And he kind of concludes chapter 7 with this, with this he says, a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? One of the key things to see there is, 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 is the emphasis on I. For the good that I will do, I cannot do. The stuff I don't want to do, I don't do. And this is a picture of a, of a man, although a spiritual giant, but a man who is trying to live this Christian life in his own self-effort. We were never called to live this Christian life in our own self-effort. How do you love those who hate you? You'd become weird. It's, I think Stockholm Syndrome is probably the closest thing I can think of where, where people start uh, emphasizing with their, their captors or, or something like that. But how do you love your enemies without the Spirit of God inside of you enabling you? You were never meant to. You'd become weird. You'd become strange. Right? So, so Paul, he's having this battle and he's saying, a wretched man that I am. I'm trying to do everything. But you were never called to do this alone. You were never called to do it without the Spirit of God. And Actually, just, just even that on, the, on, on that emphasis that we weren't called to do it alone. This is why we are placed in a body. This is why the things like the men's ministry are so important and will be so important in the, in, in the years to come. Because this is where we get knitted together as a body, where we can stand together. There is such importance to being part of a local church, to being united in vision so that we aren't just united, but we are of one accord, that we're all going in the same direction. You know, just a quick testimony, right? Yesterday, I couldn't get to the men's, and, and, I, and I wish I had up. But God, he still undertakes. He always blesses, hey? Um, and, and so just a quick testimony. I'm preparing this message. I'm preparing a message that's called, you know, running your race at rest. So... I'm working away in the study, and I go down to get a, grab a cup of tea, and Sandy says to me, hey, have you seen this post from Reuben? Now, Reuben's a friend that him, uh, another bloke, Franco, and myself, we rented rooms in this, in this um, lady's house when we were all in Bible college together back in 1994. So it's nearly 30 years ago, right? 28 years ago. Now, Reuben, since that time, he's gone off and, and he's, he's taken over this Assemblies of God church in Penang in Malaysia. Reuben's a, a Malaysian. And um, we stay in touch via Facebook, but not that close. But, but during those year, that year that we were staying together in that house, we became really good friends. We had old Edna there. She was like Anna the prophetess. Do you know the Gospels? There's that, there's that prophetess Anna who, who was a widow, and, and, and she had served the Lord with prayer and fasting day and night. She'd been a widow for years. This, this was old Edna. She would be up at five in the morning to go and prepare communion for a church of 7,000 people on a Sunday. I mean, she just devoted her life. It was this, it was this time of, of real purity, of, of, of just coming to know God and, and praying for each other. And it was just a, such a thing that God was doing in our lives at that time. And he knit us together in such a way that even 30 years later, even though we, we don't really communicate much nowadays, but we are still walking 
in one accord. And so, so Sandy called me down yesterday, and this isn't the first time this has happened when I've been preparing a message. And um, she, she says, did you see Ruben's post today? So I said, uh, no, I haven't been looking at Facebook. So she points me to his post. I just want to read it to you, right? It says, this is what Ruben's posted yesterday. Moses had to intercede from a place of rest, seated on a rock with both his hands supported. His prayers couldn't be driven or motivated by his natural sight to keep checking who, who appeared to be winning the war and which side had more casualties. Moses had to pray from a place of rest with his eyes on the Lord and, on, and not on the battle. When we are still, we shall know by experience that he is God, Jehovah Nissi. So stand still and see his salvation, and having done all, stand. Do you know what? This just, this just spoken to my life at a time when, when I'm preparing a message, and this is what God does, I believe. When we are knitted together, when we come together in one accord, how many times, Sandy, we, we've had, Pastor Andy has come with a new vision or something new, and we think, but that's on our hearts already. He's the visionary, he's the leader, lead pastor, he's gone ahead of us, God has given him the vision. We might not be on the same page, but we're in the same book at least, because we're going in the same direction, we're of one accord, we're in unison together, and it's so important, honestly, it is so important that we're of one accord, that there isn't division, not multiple visions, but that we're of one accord, going in the same direction. So God has never called us to run this race, to, be, to live this Christian life, as individuals, and he never called us, called us to, to live it without the, the, the power, the, the empowering, the ability of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to just dig into Romans chapter 8 today. So Paul finishes off Romans chapter 7 with this. He says, a wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, so then with the mind, I serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin and death. Romans 8, chapter 1. Now he just dives in. He just, he just opens this up and he says, I'm going to read Romans 8, 1 to 4. And he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And here Paul, he is just, he is just rushing down. He is, I, I love the New King James. It's wordy, but there's just such depth to it. There's such richness within this. And, and Paul, he's just, he's, he's been, he's, he's telling us how he has battled to live the Christian life by his own effort, by his own willpower. And, and he's, he's just trying to get to this place where he can get to chapter, uh, verse 4, to tell us how that this, this righteous requirement, how, the, how we can live out the, the spirit of the law, little spirit, you know, little, little s, the, the, the spirit of the law, to fulfill the holy purpose of the law. He's just rushing to get down here. And he goes straight over verse 3. And I want to come back to that. He says, For what the law couldn't do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemns sin in, in, the, in the flesh. The, the ESV says, By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. He condemned sin in the flesh. It's this, it's this throwaway statement. It's, it's, it's almost like he's glibbing, it's almost glibbing right over it so that he can get onto the meat of what he's trying to teach us because he's going to teach us how to walk in the spirit, right? And, and he's just glibbing over this. The, the, this one throwaway, he condemned sin in the flesh. You know, we know what he's talking about. We know he's talking about Jesus, right? That, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to, to become one of us, to be our substitute so that he would live this sinless, spotless life, that he would be our sacrifice. And we know what happened to him at Calvary. We can, we can read what happened when the, the, um, from Psalm 22. You can read it yourself. Psalm 22, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 52. We, we can read these accounts in the Bible where we can see what happened to Jesus at Calvary, right? Where, where it describes how the beard, they, 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 they mocked him and they, and they spat in his face. They pulled, they plucked the beard out of his face. They, they, they scourged him. That, that was a whipping where they took the skin off you from, from the amount of beating. It was horrific. They nailed him to a cross. He died in agony with people mocking and jeering at him in agony. He went through all of this. This is what he suffered when it says he condemned sin in the flesh. But you know, the Bible says that his visage, was, his, visage his, his appearance was marred more than any other man. More than any man. Now, I don't believe that that was talking about the crucifixion and what we saw this side of life and death. People have died since then. People have been killed in train wrecks. They, 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 they fell out from the, from the Twin Towers on that day of the terrorist attack. They, people's visage, their appearance, could have been hard more than, than what happened, as horrendous and as horrific as it was at that time. But you see, the, the, in Ephesians, in Ephesians, Paul, Paul's praying this prayer to the Ephesians, and I, I'm just going to read it to you, from Ephesians 1, and he says that, that you might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. That you would know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Do you know what? There, there, were, there were people in the Old Testament raised from the dead. Old Testament prophets ra raised men and women and children from the dead. Peter, in the New Testament, that, that fisherman who, who, who tried to chop somebody's ear off, chop, he raised people from the dead. And yet, in describing, in describing the power of God, that we might know the power of God, he says, this is how you know the power of God. It's this mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. And you see, I believe the reason is this, is that the Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die, and thereafter the judgment. Thereafter the judgment. What we saw was only a part of what Jesus went through for us. We just saw this side, the, the, the earth side of it. And, and I, I don't want to downgrade in any way what Jesus must have gone through, but in order to get some terms of reference, I think of it in this way, right? I see this courtroom drama, and, and I see Jesus standing in the dock, He's died. He's been crucified. He's died. And he, and he hangs it on the cross. And he says, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he, and he yields up his spirit. But now, the next instant, 
is appointed unto man once to die and thereafter judgment. And there is Jesus standing in the dock on, a, on trial for the sin of the world. But not on trial for, for, for what he has done. He is the spotless Lamb of God, but for who he is. Because of who he is, right? Do you remember what John the Baptist said? He said, I'm not the Christ. I've, I'm just the messenger that's come to prepare the place, to prepare the people to receive him. I've just come before him. And then he sees Jesus come and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus stood in that dock, in that courtroom dock, if you can just imagine it, in a, with a, give reference by, you know, like, like if it were a, a human drama, you know, in a courtroom. Jesus would be standing there and, and the prosecutor would be saying to him, are you the one they call the Lamb of God? And he would have said, yes, I am. And he would have said, do you understand the charges against you then? And there would have been this charge sheet against Jesus. And on that charge sheet would have been Romans chapter 7, but sin and every manner of evil desire was on the charge sheet. Sin and every evil desire, every evil inclination, every evil thought, every evil action, that is the charge against you. Lamb of God, do you understand the charge against you? And he said, I do. How do you plead? Guilty. Condemned. Condemned. It took the power of God, a demonstration of the power of God to raise him from the dead. His soul was crushed in Hades for us. What we saw, what we saw at the crucifixion was child's play compared to what happened to him after that. We have no idea of the price that Jesus paid. Let me just show you. That, 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 that's, that's Hebrews chapter 9. Let me just read it to you from the Bible. Just to back up what I'm saying. Hebrews chapter 9, it says, bear with me, it's just a few verses, okay, but just listen, all right? Hebrews chapter 9 says, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavenly should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, comparing the sacrifice of bulls and goats under the old covenant compared to the, the blood of Christ under the new. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He would then have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Jesus paid the price on that, on that cross, and then he stood in judgment. Then he went to judgment, and then he was condemned. And then it took a demonstration according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's the exceeding greatness of God's power to raise him back from the dead. When we look at Romans 8, chapter 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to believe that because it's written. You know, you want to believe the Bible. It is written. We can stand on that. We are, we are, we are Bible-believing charismatics. We believe in the Bible, right? It is written. I can stand on that. 
but you don't have to believe it just because it's written. You know, when I first came to the Lord, I, I really battled for the first couple of years. I really battled to, to believe the Word of God. I believed it, but it had no terms of reference for me. When Jesus said, oh, come into my Father's house, there's many rooms in my Father's house, I was like, whoa, I didn't realize this was part of the deal. Because when I was a kid, I feared and hated my Father. If He came into the house, I went out. If He came into the room, I left the room. I didn't want to be in the Father's house. Don't, Jesus, I thought this was about, you know, you saving me. Don't bring me into any Father's house. I don't want to be there, right? Until I come to know the love of the Father, until we, until we have an assurance of God's commitment to us, until we can come and we can see there is no condemnation for you, not just because it's written. It is written. But because you can look at that charge sheet and you can see that there is nothing standing between you and God. Nothing. Whatever, whatever failure you've had, Whatever sin you've committed, look to the charge sheet. Sin and every evil desire is there. You can go through that. You can scroll through that list until you find yours. And you can know there is no condemnation for you. God is the one who justifies you. God is the one who justifies you. Romans 8, still in Romans 8. Let's go from verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, so God foreknew you, whom he predestined, these he also called. He called you. He called you to himself. Whom he called, these he also justified. He, God is the one who has justified you. Whom he justified, these he also glorified you. Do you know what? There isn't shame and ridicule waiting you for you. When you get to heaven, when you leave, when you pass from this life and you stand in the presence of God, there is dignity and honor waiting for you. Dignity and honor. This is what God has given you. you let's, oh, what's the psalmist say? Lift up your heads, you everlasting doors. Lift up your gaze. Let the King of glory come on in. You can lift your head. There is dignity and honor. There isn't shame and ridicule waiting you. God has justified you. Every sin, every evil desire has been paid. There is nothing between God and you. There is no, he loves you. When he says, I love you, I love you. There, you don't have to run from him. He's not going to have a couple of whiskeys and get mad with you and suddenly change character. He's going to be the same. There's nothing standing between you and him. So what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. God is for you, Margaret, Eunice, Veronica. God is for you. He who didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know, the price that Jesus paid at Calvary, the, imagine the price for the Father to have to stand back and allow Jesus to do that. It was his own will. It was of his own will that Jesus came one of us. He gave himself for us. He said, burnt offerings and sacrifices of sin you had no delight, but here I am to do your will, O God. Use me. Jesus wasn't a victim. Jesus was an offering that he gave himself. There is nothing that stands between you and God today. No matter what you've done, if you are in Christ Jesus, 
You are loved. You are accepted. It is God who justifies you. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It's God who justifies you. I, I, like, I think of this as, as like the, the, um, the Gideon factor. Don't, don't Google it, there's no such thing. I just call it that. It's the Gideon factor. Like Sandy's been sharing about Gideon. He was, he was there on his own. Nobody's following him. He's, he's out sifting wheat out there all on his own. Until he gets his revelation that actually God isn't against him, that God is for him, and he gets that revelation, Jehovah Shalom, I have peace with God. I've got peace with God. And once he gets that revelation, he, he goes on to become this great hero of God, that, goes, that God defeats enemies through him. But just through that revelation, when you know, or as Daniel says, those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits, when you know that you are in right standing with God, no matter what, no matter what you've even thought a moment ago, no matter what you've done yesterday or today or what brought you here, even if you had an argument with your spouse on the way here, listen, all this stuff, it's, 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 it's superfluous. God says that how, how shall he who, 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 who didn't withhold Jesus from us not freely give us all things we need? You know, life is tough. Life, life isn't just, we don't get saved and it's all like, da -da -da -da, or roses, by any stretch of the imagination. But it's not all bad either. It's just you take the rough with the smooth, right? You're rough with the smooth. But God is with us through everything, in everything. And he is for you today. And so today you can come before God knowing that you are accepted in him. And those heavy burdens of trying to please God, just let them drop. Drop those weights. Those weights, those heavy burdens. This is going to be our best lap yet. You must drop the weights. We must. We must. It's not a law, but we must drop those weights of trying to earn God's approval or to, to make ourselves acceptable or to try and force ourselves to be better. I don't know how we are. We've only got five minutes left, so I've just got through the introduction. The, the Apostle, the Romans 8, is a book about walking in the Spirit of God, setting our minds on the things of God and not setting our minds on the things of the flesh. That is how it's done. It's a life of ease. It's not an enigma. To run at rest is not an enigma. It is, in fact, the normal Christian life. I think Watchman Nee called it. To walk, to live life in the Spirit, that is the norm. It's no enigma. You know, he says, Paul says, for those that live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. The, the, when we want to indulge ourselves, we set our mind on those things that, that are satisfying for ourselves. But those, but those that live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Set our minds. Do you know what, church? You don't have to be... Uh, a space cadet. We don't have to be space cadets to be walking in the Spirit. It's where do you set your mind? Where do you set your mind? You know, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and there was a lot of promiscuity going on there. There was all sorts of debauchery going on in the church of Corinth back in the early, in the first church. And, and he says to them in, in 6.12, he said, uh, you are not, let me just actually read it to you. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. 
Do you know what? We can choose to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Where you set your mind on, the things that you set your mind on, when you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, like Byron was sharing this morning, let's be, let's be sowing into the, 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 the field where we are. Set your mind on that. When we set our mind on the kingdom of God, put His kingdom first, when we set our mind on the things of God, that's the direction our lives will go. And when we come to make choices, we will be willing to, to check those choices against the written word of God, to, to come to your pastors, to, to come to godly counsel and say, does this witness with you? I'm willing to, to have this checked because I want to, plead, I want to walk with the Father. I w- you know, like, like the psalmist said, my soul follows closely behind you, God. That's where I want to be. So I don't mind. You can check my doctrines. You can check my, the plans for my life because I want them to be following God. But it's when we follow after ourselves and our own desires and our own wills for our, for our lives, then our own affections restrict us. That's when we start looking to our feelings and we say, well, okay, now I'm going down this road, but how do I feel about it? It's like, you go, anything you get at that stage is going to be emotion and feelings. And we can all feel peace if there's going to be lots of money, if something's going to give you lots of money, if something's going to satisfy a need in my life, we'll all have peace about it. It doesn't mean it's God. What you want to do, set your mind, you and me, us, set our minds on the things of God we're going to run our best lap yet. We're going to run it at rest. It's not a hardship. This is the normal Christian life. Does that make sense? God loves you. There is, there is absolutely nothing you can do that would put anything between you and God. Come on, okay, we're going to finish with Romans 8. We've got it. We've got to go here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. God is in you. If you are a child of God, the Spirit of God lives in you. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are not His. But you are, I know all of you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Yield to Him. Set your mind on the things that gratify the Spirit. And He will direct and lead your paths. Amen.